The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 8. Art is a house. February 2002. The upstairs was nothing like I expected. I thought it would be just as rich and ornamented as the rest of the house, but it wasn't. In fact, the upstairs, with its gray walls and dim lighting, reminded me more of a basement than a finished part of the house. A single bare bulb with hefty coils of filament lit our way. A long blue carpet stretched from one end of the hall to the other, and the walls were covered in strange paintings. A lot stranger than the ones downstairs. The ones downstairs had been modern and poppy. They were the sort of paintings you expected to find at a furniture store. The sort of paintings appropriate to show your guests. These were something different. I couldn't put my finger on it immediately. At first glance, they looked like beach scenes with children playing or people strolling. Something was off, though. One painting struck me in particular. A young woman stood, looking toward the left side of the canvas. Her children played in the seagrass alongside her, but she was looking fearfully at something beyond. I realized, too, that she was caught up in a shadow. Not the shadow of seagrass or a building, more like the shadow of a mangled tree or something worse. I realized after looking at a few more that the rest of the paintings were the same. They were actually all the same people in the same clothes, and that woman, and only that woman, always seemed to be looking at something off the canvas. It was as if the action of the painting was taking place beyond its borders. The focus was all somewhere outside the frame, maybe on the hallway itself. The shadow was always there too, that same weird shadow. The more times I saw it, the more it seemed to morph into the shadow of a clawed hand. Something like dread filled me as I looked at those paintings. The illogical kind of dread that doesn't seem to have a source. What was it with this place? Why did I feel so strange tonight? I caught up to Sam, who had passed me up while I was looking at the pictures. Interesting art, I commented. Yeah, I hate this hallway, he replied. My great-grandma, Reed's mom, painted these things. They're awful. They make me feel like I'm going to get stabbed in the neck at any given moment. That was a pretty good description. Why does he keep them? I asked. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Loved his mom? Thinks they're going to be worth something someday? I don't know. He mostly treats them like a joke, though. I couldn't really imagine seeing humor in these things, and if there's one person I know who can make an inappropriate joke about just about anything, it's me. As we reached the end of the hallway, Sam suddenly turned to me with a sort of sparkle in his eye. I was the one who suggested that we sneak up here, but I had no doubt that Sam was starting to have fun. 
In fact, he was probably having more fun than me at this point. Those paintings had really sobered me up. So, he said, if you think that was creepy, wait until you walk down the hall backwards. I'm not walking down this hallway backwards, I said. I'm also not going to crawl on the ceiling because I'm not possessed by a demon. No, Sam said, not like moonwalking. Just walk the other direction. You'll see. He crossed his arms and leaned back against the wall, and I thought he was probably enjoying this. I know there's a certain level of happiness in knowing something another person doesn't know and guiding that person through the process of discovering it for themselves. The first few moments of blind trust are always frustrating for the person doing the discovering, though. For all I knew, this was an elaborate practical joke. Eventually, I decided to go with it. I took my time as I started the walk back to the stairs. As I looked at all the paintings again, I realized something. They weren't just random paintings of the same people on the beach. They were sequential in some sense. As I walked down the hallways, the family seemed to join me, almost as if they were keeping pace. The shadow also grew, moving up out of the ocean, covering more and more of the canvas with each consecutive painting. Like one of those flip books from childhood, I was watching a story progress. The last painting hanging on the wall showed the family cowering beneath the shadow of the thing out of frame. I looked closer and noticed something I hadn't seen before. The shadow looming over the beach had extended a clawed arm toward the family. It had three claws. The gargoyle out front had three claws as well. And come to think of it, so did the mark on the tree near the beach. Crown insisted that it wasn't a claw, but I was beginning to think that there was a pattern here, and it seemed like a troublesome pattern. As I stood there looking at the painting, I did my best to slow the progression of thoughts. Sure, the mark on the tree had been made up of three gashes, but that didn't necessarily have anything to do with this. It could have been completely disconnected. Still, even if the tree didn't have anything to do with Reed, it was still kind of creepy that Reed had chosen this particular motif for his home decor. Or maybe not. Maybe Reed just had a dark sense of humor. I could get behind that, I guess. I turned to Sam. Another thought was brewing in my brain. Maybe these paintings were connected to the gashes in the tree, but maybe the connection was less supernatural and more bored college student. Maybe there was a local monster legend, and the paintings and the gargoyles and the slashes in the tree had all originated from that. Does Burning Rock have its own sea monster? I asked. I mean, probably in a general sense, Sam replied. I think when they divided up the seas, they probably assigned a fictional monster to each region or something. But nothing specific comes to mind. How about Reed? I asked. I think you mentioned he's pretty into local folklore. Yeah, you could say that, Sam replied. When I was a kid, Reed used to throw these extravagant Halloween parties. Sam came over and leaned up against the wall again. There was a sort of smugness in the way that he was presenting this information, like he thought he was going to scare me with it or something. 
The parties were really more for adults, he said, but we were family, so Lana and I usually tagged along. Reed always had these elaborate themes. He would do a movie or a TV show or Creepy Christmas or whatever. One year it was kind of different, though. Usually it was campy, cheesy, you know. But that year it wasn't. It, it was subtle. And there were claw marks like the ones you saw on that tree. There was fake blood, but there wasn't like a lot of it. Usually there were like crazy, stupid, silly amounts of fake blood. But this was like genuinely scary because it was just hints. It's like when you see something out of the corner of your eye. Okay, so Reed went minimalist that year, I said, trying to sound unconcerned. I folded my arms and leaned against the opposing wall, matching Sam's stance and, in a realization that was for some reason delightful, matching his height as well. I don't know why it made me happy that we were the same height, but it did. That was the same year he debuted the paintings, Sam said. The hallway, if anything, felt darker than it had when we came up, as if the bulbs and the light fixtures were dimming. The noises from downstairs had died down into something barely discernible. I could have been scared if I wanted to be, like teens breaking into an abandoned asylum to scare themselves silly on Halloween night. I could have just let my brain run away with me. I could have looked over at Sam with his bright eyes and casual stance and the sparks of mischief flickering over his face and fully bought into the effect he was trying to create. But I didn't. I didn't cave. The paintings, I said after a moment. Did Reed ever talk about why your great-grandma made them or why Reed took them out? Sam seemed to realize that I wasn't going to double over in existential dread anytime soon, and his expression became much more casual. Now, he shook his head. One time my dad asked my great-grandma why she painted them, and she just said she was, like, painting the things she dreamed about. I looked up sharply. It turned out that even though the creepy tone and weird paintings didn't get me, that one innocent remark did. It was probably nothing, but after the last couple nights, the mentions of monsters and unusual dreams threw my brain into overdrive. Did she say anything about the kinds of dreams she was having? Like, what the things looked like? Not really, he shrugged. Sam? Reed's voice floated up the stairs, and we both turned to look at each other. Sam reached out and grabbed the sleeve of my jacket, which I thought was kind of funny. He dragged me down a corridor that I hadn't even noticed until now. I actually hadn't paid attention to the hallway at all when we walked up here, but I guess I should have realized that the upstairs would be big. The downstairs was absolutely massive, and the upstairs needed an extra hallway to match. We passed a couple of doorways and finally ducked into the last room along the hall. Sam let go of my sleeve, and I followed him toward the far end of the room. This room was far more welcoming than the rest of the upstairs. There was a modern glass desk with a large fireplace on one side of the room. A large painting of Reed and a woman who was presumably his wife hung over the fireplace. It was creepy. Neither one of them was smiling, and they both looked like they had been carved out of granite for how stiff they looked. But it still managed to be less creepy than the paintings in the hall. 
Sam and I went to the far edge of the room and tucked ourselves away behind a large hutch-type piece of furniture. If Reed actually came all the way into the room, our hiding spot wouldn't do much good, but he wouldn't be able to see us if all he did was open the door. Are we really going to get in that much trouble for being up here? I whispered. All of this was pretty silly, but I was also starting to feel kind of guilty now, like maybe I shouldn't have pushed Sam to come up here. I guess I hadn't realized it was really off limits, which now felt like kind of a weak excuse. Yeah, he said. It might be a decent amount of trouble. This family dynamic was super weird, but I still said sorry. It's fine, he said, leaning around me to look at the door. Maybe we can just go through this wardrobe into another dimension, I suggested, patting the side of the giant piece of furniture next to me. Yeah, that might work if it wasn't a filing cabinet, he replied. For every moment that Reed did not burst through the door, I felt a little more confident. There was a window next to our hiding spot, and eventually I skirted around Sam and went to look out into the yard. The view was a lot better than I expected. From up here, I could see the whole city, the ocean, the sky beyond it. Everything looked miniature, like I could reach down and pick up one of the buildings and move it somewhere else like a prop in a model train set. If it were up to me, I would line up all my favorite businesses in a row beside my apartment. First the seafood restaurant, and then the hat store, and then Sam's ice cream shop. When I turned back to Sam, he was leaning around the filing cabinet like he was listening to something. I think I heard Reed on the stairs, he said. Look, Reed can be weird. I'm going to go take care of this and I'll come back and get you when the coast is clear. I agreed reluctantly. This was, after all, more than half my fault. Ultimately, though, I decided to let Sam handle it in hopes of not making things worse. Sam left, and I continued to wonder why Reed would be so concerned with people in his attic. Sam left the room, and once he was a few yards down the hallway, I heard him call, Coming, Grandpa. Sam? Reed's voice was clear and a little too close. I froze in place. What are you doing up here? Had to use the bathroom, Sam said. The other one was occupied. Reed didn't acknowledge that, and instead asked... Where's Ivy? Those questions sounded innocent enough. I couldn't help but read a bit of accusation in the tone. I imagined Sam shrugging as he said, Don't know. Maybe she went to her car or something? Reed seemed to accept this. I suppose we should return to the party, he said. I breathed a sigh and let myself lean into the wall behind me. Tonight was turning out a little bit weird, though there were some parts of it that had been pretty fun. Overall, I was struck by a general feeling of uneasiness, though. I walked back over to the window and looked out over the town, daydreaming about moving all those buildings around like movie props. When I eventually turned away, that uneasiness had ramped up, leaving me feeling dizzy and almost nauseous. This was turning into a bad night. In fact, I felt so bad that I almost considered going to sit down next to the file cabinet. What was going on with me tonight? Why was I panicking like this? Before I could spiral too far, I heard someone at the door. 
I leaned back in my hiding spot, hoping it was Sam. Ivy. A woman's whisper greeted me, and I relaxed. Cautiously, I stepped out into the moonlight. There you are. It was Lana, with her hair carrying a glow of its own. I swear, her hair is like the literal sun. Sam sent me to get you, she said. She handed me a drink, and in spite of the weird fluke earlier, I took a sip. It was a cool herbal drink, pine-esque in some sort of way, and though I wasn't sure what was in it, I thought it was pretty good. Why were you guys hanging out in Grandpa's office anyway? She asked. It's so creepy up here. She asked the question, but didn't seem particularly interested in the answer. Instead, she walked over to the window while I continued to sip my drink. Okay, she said. So, I have everybody else playing this really intense game of catchphrase. No one's even going to notice that you came back down. She looked at me for a moment and finally smiled. You and Sam are going to be the death of each other if you aren't careful. The last thing Sam needs is someone needling him into following his destructive impulses. He's good enough at that on his own. I chuckled at that and drank a little more. I followed Lana down the stairs and back into the living room. The party had moved to the dining room. I could hear people calling out the names of movies, and I figured I must be overhearing that game of catchphrase Lana had set up as a distraction. I might have felt stupid about creating the need for a distraction if it wasn't for the fact that Lana seemed to think it was funny, too. Down here in the bright house lights, I realized that my drink was kind of a work of art in its own right. It was jade green, almost blue, with a swirl of what appeared to be glitter and a garnish of juniper. It was like a Christmas tree in a glass. There you are. Join us, Reed exclaimed as Lana and I came to stand at the head of the table. He didn't seem angry, and he didn't seem aware that there was anything amiss. Sam must have covered well. I took a seat between Sam and Reed. I twirled the glass in my fingers and took another drink. Did you find what you were looking for? Reed asked. I turned toward him, startled. What did he mean? Did he know that we had been upstairs? Finally, I realized what he was talking about. I reached into my pocket and pulled out my keys. Yeah, I just had to go to my car. I said, I forgot these out there. I get a little paranoid about locking them in. Maybe I'm a little OCD. Figured I might as well just get them. He nodded, and though I saw no outward sign of disbelief, I didn't feel quite confident I had pulled one over on him at all. October 2007 I pass the ice cream shop on my way home. Sometimes I try to avoid it. Sometimes I try to pass by on the other side of the street so I don't have to look through the window and replay those memories. Because the fact of the matter is, whenever I look through those windows, I can still see the shadows dancing along the walls of so many mornings and so many nights, sitting in a booth, listening to Sam's objectively terrible selection of music, waiting to try out one of the brand new flavors or walk over to the college for whatever class we all agreed to take that quarter. I haven't been in the shop since the week after Sam disappeared. 
It wasn't a conscious, ritualistic thing like leaving the room of a dead relative untouched. No, for me it was pure practicality. After Sam disappeared, a lot of things became clear. For example, I don't like ice cream that much, especially not during the endless months of the rainy season. Once he was gone and it was clear that he wasn't coming back, there was no real reason for me to spend time in there. I think Lana and Crown went back a couple times, invited me to join them, but I never did. Tonight, the neon sign blinks in the fog. Someone had carved dozens of pumpkins and left them out front with battery-powered candles to light them. Sam never would have done that. I was the one who had to carve all the pumpkins to put outside his shop on our one Halloween together, and I suspect before me it was probably Lana and Crown. But I stopped that too after he disappeared. Now some random kid must carve the pumpkins for the pumpkin parade. The town calls it the pumpkin parade because once a year, from midnight to midnight, we line the streets with literally thousands of pumpkins and lanterns. We say that we do it so the kids can have a safe, well-lit path to walk while they trick-or-treat, but as usual, I think the truth goes deeper than that. I think we do it for ourselves just as much as we do it for the kids. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon.